right, good morning church. It's good to see you guys this morning. It's the end of February and I'm looking at 65 in the future. I'm excited about that. Uh, You can tell I pray harder than Pastor Chad does. I'm just kidding. Um, Kind of. I'm just kidding. No, no. Uh, One of the things I wanted to say really quick before I started my sermon, uh, before I got myself into too much trouble, was I want to shout out really quick. Got some friends from Moody Bible Institute here this morning. Uh, Yeah. Coming up and visiting Pastor Ben. Um, And so it's uh, it's always good to shout out my alma mater. Big fan of Moody. If you're interested in checking out, uh, studying more about the Bible, uh, Moody Bible Institute's a great thing to look into. To begin this morning, I want to ask you two simple questions. Uh, if you have a calendar on your phone, I want you to open it up re- right now really quick. Um, and uh, if you don't have it, just imagine the, comp- the calendar that's you know, maybe on your wall at home or on your refrigerator or something like that. Or just think through your plans for this week. This is the point. Question number one, what do you have planned this week from Sunday until the end of Saturday? What, do you, what plans do you have this week? Here's the second question. How does that make you feel? Uh, when I did this earlier this week, I was looking through my plans. Um, I tell you what, my back started to tighten up, my fingers started to tingle, my heart started to beat a little faster, because I got a lot of things on my calendar. And I started to go, holy moly, get a little overwhelmed, a little stressed out, thinking about all the things that fill up my calendar. And if I know you at all, you probably do as well. Uh, each one of you guys has a lot of stuff going on in your lives. And, and this is what kind of struck me, is that even with all of our modern conveniences, somehow we're still more stressed out than ever before. Uh, today is the fourth week of our series called Close Encounters with Jesus, and what we're going to do is we're going to get an up-close view of Jesus when he needed to be in two different places at the same time. Two different places at the same time. He had the most important job on the planet. He's the most important person on the planet. And he actually had an appointment with somebody. He was going somewhere. Someone was waiting for a close encounter with him. And this appointment was literally a matter of life and death. But we don't see Jesus running to get there. He's not rushing. He doesn't even seem to be in much of a hurry. In fact, there's not one time in Scripture where Jesus runs or rushes somewhere. He was in a hurry to get somewhere. Like I said last week, I just heard this, at a quote, I heard this quote from a men's conference I was at. Jesus never moved faster than three miles an hour. And a lot of people around him did. His disciples were certainly in a hurry. Uh, the Family members were certainly rushing different places. The religious elite certainly had a a, a priority on their agenda. Even his enemies seemed to be in a hurry at times, but Jesus never rushed anywhere. In fact, on his way to this appointment, speaking of, he gets interrupted. Someone who did not have an appointment grabbed him on the road, stopped him, and instead of, you know, speeding up that interaction, expediting process. What does Jesus do? He, he stops, and he's not in a hurry. Uh, he makes time for the person instead of rushing to the person who's on their deathbed. Okay? So in our text this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 8. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can start getting there. We'll get there in a second. But what we're going to see is Jesus do custom work. 
He does up close and personal custom work in two different people's lives at almost the same time. But for us to fully understand each of their stories, we have to put them together. This uh, juxtaposition, putting these two stories together in the same moment, is actually going to help bring out how Jesus interacts with each of them differently. He treats them as two very unique stories. Jesus doesn't have a company line that he just gives them, right? And in these close encounters with Jesus, we're going to learn more of what Jesus is like, and also how he's calling each of us to have faith in him. So, if you have your Bible, we're going to be in chapter 8 of Luke, but all the way down in verse 40. Okay, we're going to start down in verse 40. So, Luke 8, verse 40, and if you're able to, would you go ahead and stand up? We're going to read this out loud together. We're going to read Luke 8, 40 through 44 together, but we're going to cover the rest of the passage after that. It goes like this. On the other side of the lake, the crowd welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. Then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. As Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe, and immediately the bleeding stops. Let's pray. Jesus, this morning as we encounter you, uh, as we lean into hearing you speak in your word, I pray that it would be more than just an academic exercise. God, I pray to the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus would encounter us this morning, personally, individually. Jesus, please do custom work in each one of our lives, and I pray that our hearts would be soft to receive what you have for us this morning. Please speak loud and clear. I pray for those this morning, God, who've been waiting on you, who've been leaning in and and actually asking you to help and have not felt or seen or heard anything yet. I pray that you would reveal your presence. You would show your care. I pray for those who've been resisting you. You've been speaking in their life. They even heard it, but they didn't like it. God, I pray that you would continue knocking on that door, that you would not give up on them, that you would not go away and be silent, but you would continue in your mercy and in your grace to draw them out of hiding. I pray for each one of us this morning that you do custom work in our lives. Amen. You can have a seat. As we read this morning, there's an interruption. Jesus is is barely touched, but he turns it into this whole deal, this whole personal conversation. Because he's, if you look down in verse 49, which we'll get to in a moment, this is literally a matter of life or death. It's a matter of life or death, and what does Jesus do? Now, to provide some context, what had happened right before that was... If you remember week one of this series, if you were listening, Pastor Jeff preached on how Jesus met this guy, called himself Legion. He was filled with thousands of demons, right? 
and he cast him out. Now, Jesus, uh, Pastor Jeff called him Wild Harry because he doesn't have a name in here, but that seemed to fit. Um, Wild Harry, we met in week one, and Jesus had a personal encounter with him on the other side, in the, the Gentile region on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. The significant reason I'm mentioning that right now is because after that, Jesus gets back in the boat and travels back across the sea into Israel. He's traveling back to Jewish people now. And when he gets to the shore, there's this massive crowd waiting for him. How many of you guys do not like crowds? You're probably not the... Oh, wow. Very brave of you to raise your hand, by the way. So, big crowd... If you don't like crowds, that would be like freaking you out in this moment. This huge crowd, Jesus had just done an amazing miracle, and they're all waiting for him. So back to the crowd, verse 41. There's a man named Jairus. He's the leader of the local synagogue, which is like their place of worship. And he came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. So there's his dad in the crowd, and he's waiting for Jesus. He's waiting for Jesus. Now, I don't, I don't know if you have kids. Um, if, you're not a, if you're not a parent, you can probably just imagine what it would be like to be this dad. But if you are a parent, you know exactly how this dad is feeling when there's something going wrong with your child, and you actually kind of feel powerless to do anything about it. Right? He, he is like in full-on... I need to find a solution mode. And he had heard that maybe Jesus could help him. Now, we don't know much about this dad's story other than he's a leader of the local synagogue. That region, that region of Galilee, did not like Jesus. They didn't think very highly of Jesus. Jesus would later say that a prophet does not have honor in his own hometown. He's talking about that area. He couldn't do miracles in that area because of their lack of faith. The religious people in that area did not see much in Jesus. And this is a leader of a local synagogue. Not a popular, Jesus was not a popular figure in that area. But he had heard that maybe, maybe this guy who cast out thousands of demons could heal his daughter. Now, I don't know exactly what Jairus had heard, but he knew enough to know, okay, it's going to be risky for my reputation, for my occupation, but I need to do something. And so he goes to Jesus, and Jesus agrees to go see his daughter. Meanwhile, the streets are packed, they're full of people. Traffic is awful, by the way. Traffic is terrible. And he's already running late. Now, I don't know about you, I know what I feel like when traffic is running late, and I'm not on somewhere... I'm on my way to go somewhere. I'm on my way to meet somebody, especially when it's important and for God. I'm like, how dare you? God, get them out of my way. Right. He's running late. Traffic is terrible. But Jesus, what does he do? He's not in a hurry. In fact, he stops. First of all, he stops to listen to Jairus and take extra time to go out of his way to heal his daughter. Then verse 43, something happens. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding and she could find no cure. Now, let me just stop right here. This woman is sick. She's not dying. She's not dying like the 12-year-old girl, but she had been sick for 12 years straight. 
and, and Luke is actually a doctor, the guy who wrote the gospel according to Luke, he's a physician, and he records that there was no cure to be found for her. We don't exactly know what was wrong with her, but a lot of scholars would guess that the woman's issue had something to do with a uterine abnormality with constant bloody discharge. And so after 12 years of whatever this was, it would be hard to call it a threat to life or limb, but it would have made her life miserable for over a decade. She'd be physically miserable, but she'd also be unable to gather for worship or even interact with other people. Because according to the law of Moses, she's unclean, unable to enter the presence of God in the sanctuary of God's people. But the moment she touches somebody else, they're unclean as well. Right? So, she was forced to social distance. Right? Just imagine you tested positive for COVID in 2020. And then did that again for 624 weeks in a row. That's her story. Kind of. Not, not COVID, but she had this constant bloody discharge. And she had to social distance for 12 years straight. And she didn't have church online. All right, so she, think about this. She is certainly anemic and fatigued with all the blood loss. She wanted to get well, but she spent 100% of her money on doctors with zero results. So she's suffering spiritually and physically and socially and financially. She's hit rock bottom. Pastor Jason actually preached on this passage in East Jordan last week, and one of the things he said in his message, and this is just a personal example from Pastor Jason, he said, and I don't know if you know about this, but Pastor Jason's been suffering with a significant physical ailment for a number of years now, and he said, if you've never had prolonged illness, it's really hard to relate. Some of us can. He said, I've only dealt with my illness for five years. I've seen lots of doctors. Last year, we budgeted the full amount allowed in our HSA account, which is our health savings account, but spent more than two times that. I want to get well. Praise God and thanks to all your prayer. I'm feeling better lately, but I'm not fully healed yet, but I'm a lot less miserable. This woman wasn't. All of her suffering remained, so she came to Jesus. Verse 44, coming up behind him, she touched the fringe of his robe, and immediately the bleeding stopped. Like that. Twelve years of fatigue and bloody clothing and never feeling comfortable around people and people always wanting to avoid her and not being able to go to church and worship. Like twelve years of physical and social and physical and financial hardships. Instantly she's healed. She didn't know him. He was busy. He's in the middle of a huge crowd. Anyone she touched on the way to him would have been declared unclean the moment she touched them. And none of that stopped her. She touched them, touched him, like literally only the hem of his clothing. And miraculously, he was healed. And I think, man, if you're writing a story, camp out on this. This is amazing. It's an amazing moment. Like celebrate her healing and then kind of move on in the story. And it's interesting, as you keep reading, it seems that she almost would have been fine with the healing 
and just moving on with the story. Right? Without an encounter with Jesus or, Jesus or any relationship with him. But notice what Luke records. This is verse 45. So immediately the bleeding stopped. Verse 44. Verse 45. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it. Not me, not me, not me. But Peter says, Master, the whole crowd is pressing up against you. Who cares who touched you? Everyone did, right? Jesus could have kept right on his way, but he doesn't. He stops. There was something about that touch. He knew healing had flown out of him, had, had flowed out of him. He knew power had exited him into somebody else. He knew someone just got healed. And yet, he cared more about her than he did about her healing. Notice this. He wants an up-close encounter with her. Jesus says, someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. And when the woman realized that she could no longer stay hidden, which kind of leads me to believe she was trying to, she began to tremble and fall at her knees in front of him, and the whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. This sick woman who had been avoided by people and shunned by people her whole life is now healed, and all eyes are on her. Like it was this moment where, you know what I mean? Like you're in the airplane and the baby starts crying and it's your baby, and then like everyone's looking at you, or like restaurant and you drop your plate and it shatters and like the whole restaurant turns and looks at you like all eyes are on her in this moment and she got way more of an encounter with Jesus than she bargained for so she's awkwardly giving her testimony in the middle of this humongous crowd verse 48 so what does Jesus say he says daughter your faith has made you well go in peace now Jesus is not using her for her story here he's here for her in fact, he makes it personal, relational. There's only one time in the entire New Testament where Jesus calls somebody daughter, and it's right here. This is this term of connection, family, personal, caring love. This moment was not just health healing, but life changing. Jesus was not looking for just to heal her body, get a good story out of it, a press release. It wasn't about just the healing, but he was looking to heal her on a more fundamental level of being. Her view of herself, the relationships that she has, her view of God. Now, by itself, this is an amazing of a real person with real problems that no one else could help, who had a real life-changing encounter with Jesus. He didn't just heal her body, but he heals her soul. But what about the other daughter in the story? What about the other daughter? Because Jairus the dad is still standing there waiting the whole time, while the clock on his li daughter's life is ticking, he's just watching all of this unfold. He's watching this person who's had 12 years to find a solution finally stop right before his solution was desperately needed. 
Come on! What are you waiting for? You can come back to her. She'll still be alive. Can you, can you feel the angst in Jairus? The, the hurry, the worry, the, 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 even the anger building up. And while he was still speaking to her, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and he told him, Your daughter is dead. If Jesus had gotten there sooner, why, why did he take so long? this moment, you can just feel all of the air exit this guy's lungs. This is a gut punch. There's nothing he can do anymore. He doesn't know it yet, but the story's not over. It's kind of like what Corey Asbury sings in that house, the, or in that song, The Father's House. The story isn't over if the story isn't good. I love that. Jairus doesn't know this yet. He's still in this moment. But Jesus isn't done working. In this gut punch moment, Jairus doesn't get this, but Jesus is rarely early, but he's never late. The interruption did not make Jesus miss his appointment. He's been right on time the whole time. Because notice this, verse 50. When Jesus heard what had happened, he immediately, he, he turns to Jairus and he says, don't be afraid. Just have faith, she will be healed. And when they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in, him with, in with him except Peter, John, James, and Jairus. And the mom. Verse 52. The house was filled with people weeping and wailing. But he said, stop the weeping. She's not actually dead. She's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him because they all knew she had died. Then Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, My child, get up. And at that moment, her life returned, and she immediately stood up, and Jesus told them to give her something to eat. You get hungry after you die. Her parents were overwhelmed, but Jesus insisted that they not tell anyone what had happened. So you have one woman healed, one girl brought back to life. Jesus is in both of these moments. What do we learn about Jesus? There's a Probably three things at least that stand out to me that are significant is number one, Jesus worked in both of their lives in unique, supernatural ways, but not in a way either of them would have expected. Number two, Jesus did not have to rush to get his work done. If you think about it, the one who spoke all creation into existence, who spoke to calm the raging storm, who ordered the demons to flee, who healed, resurrected, and rose himself to life after dying on the cross, all in his perfect timing. He's the one 
who holds time in his hands and works all things together right on time for our good. If he's powerful enough to do that, I think he can handle my life and my challenges. Jesus interacted with each of these women differently, uniquely, but both of them discovered the faithfulness of Jesus. Both the father of the dying girl and the woman with the constant bleeding would both testify to this truth that those with faith will find that Jesus is faithful. In fact, that's really the point that I want to get at this morning. If you're writing notes, this is probably the main thing to write down. Those with faith find that Jesus is faithful. Because in this text we see two real women. One's 12 years old. The other is all grown up. One healed after 12 years of living with a crippling illness. One died after 12 years of living. And I just imagine Dr. Luke, 12 years before writing this, in that hospital room, hearing the conversation with the doctor saying, I, I don't know what to do. We've tried everything. I don't know what else I can recommend. And seeing that doctor rush over in a hurry to deliver a baby and present new life after he had just given a living death sentence. Twelve years later, Dr. Luke sees this moment. One woman healed after 12 years of living with a crippling illness and the other died after 12 years of living and then lives again. One had very little choice but to tell her entire story in front of everyone and the other prevented from sharing her story at all. Jesus does custom work in each one of their lives. Never too busy to meet them right on time to change them forever. Wants to encounter you as well. Jesus wants to encounter you on a personal level. He wants you to move toward Him in faith from whatever situation you find yourself in. To throw yourself at Jesus and to reach out to Him and to rely on Him because He wants you to discover what these people found that those with faith will find that Jesus is faithful. So I've got to ask, what's Jesus speaking this morning? How does Jesus want to encounter each one of us today? There's really three things that stand out to me that I think are significant responses to an encounter with Jesus. And they come from what I imagine Jesus would have said to Jairus, what he would have said to the woman with the constant bleeding, and then the message he would have wanted everybody else, that crowd, to understand. And depending on where you find yourself in life, you might need to hear one of these from Jesus more than the others, or I don't know, maybe Jesus wants to speak all three of them to you. But the message coming through the text is this, that those with faith find that Jesus is faithful. So number one, we can lean back in the timing of Jesus. Number two, we can lean into the tenderness of Jesus. And number three, we can learn from the tactics of Jesus. I want to unpack each one of those for a moment. Number one, we can lean back in the timing of Jesus. You can sit back. 
you can relax. You can trust his timing because God's got it. This is what I believe Jairus really needed to latch on to. He didn't have any issues with what he believed about Jesus, right? His theology was good. He clearly knew Jesus was capable. He was divine. He was able to heal. This is why he went to him in the first place. But in the midst of this tension that he was feeling as the provider and the protector of his little girl, there's a realization that he has to have that's even deeper than this, that, that Jesus cares for his daughter even more than he does. He knew more in that moment than Jairus did. All Jairus could see and feel was the clock ticking away on his daughter's life. He's in one moment. But Jesus knew something Jairus didn't. That resurrection life was in his very breath. All he had to say was, my child, get up. He knew in that moment her life would return and she would stand up. Jesus knew that. Jairus didn't. But if he knew anything about Jesus, he would know he could trust his timing. I think a lot of times people ask me the question, how could God be all-powerful? In other words, able to stop the bad thing from happening. And all-good, like he wants to stop the bad thing from happening. And bad still happens. That's not a God that I can worship. Here's the other factor in that story. He's all-knowing. And he sees beyond this current moment that bad feels bad. Because he knows what he can do. He knows how he can step in. He knows how he cares about the people in this moment more than just their healing. Yeah, he's able to heal. Yeah, he's able to solve and fix problems. Yeah, he's able. But like the bigger blessing is that you got him. It's very likely in your life, Jesus will allow you to go through things that hurt. Jesus will, you need to hear that. Like, Jesus will allow you to go through things you don't want to go through. That's the reality of the world we live in. None of us want to be sick or poor or stressed or whatever. So we pray to God and appropriately we ask him to bring healing and to deliverance and, and provision in our lives. But if you've been sick or struggling or waiting for God to show up and do God-sized things in your mind or your body, or your marriage, or your career, or your adult children, or your friends, here is the encouragement that he's not done. Trust his timing. Keep praying. Keep leaning into him in faith. Jesus is rarely early, and he's never late. He's always right on time. So whatever you're going through, there is a reason and a season but the thing you need to hang on to is this, that he cares more about you than your healing. It's one thing that he offers his power. It's another thing and a completely better thing that he offers his presence. So even in the process of trusting his timing through faith, you'll begin to discover that he is 
that those with faith will find that Jesus is faithful. So number one, we can lean back on the timing of Jesus. Number two, we can lean into the tenderness of Jesus. Lean in. Ask for more. Don't you know that Jesus wants to be closer? That where you're at with him right now, he wants more with you. I believe this is what the woman with constant bleeding needed to hear from Jesus. That Jesus, he could have kept away, but he stops. He cared more about her than her healing. Like, when he asks, who touched me in verse uh, 45? Like, I think about that. That that question does not make sense for the all-knowing creator of the universe. The one who knew that a special touch had just happened. That question makes no sense unless he's not asking to get an answer. But to engage her. Right? He calls her out of hiding into the conversation. She had trained herself to stay out of the way. She had convinced herself that she was no good, a hindrance, unlovable. And yet even after the healing, Jesus seeks out where the healing went to. He, he wanted more than just restoration, he wanted relationship. He wanted more than just healing for her, he wanted wholeness. He calls her out of hiding and into love. Her faith-filled act of reaching out to him, despite all the reasons not to, she discovered the total faithfulness of a tender Savior. Can I encourage you with this? If you're stuck, if you're stuck in a circumstance that has given you a hundred reasons to give up, to avoid risk, to, to hide from love, Jesus is the one reason to hang on to, to have faith. You can lean into his tenderness today as he calls you out of hiding and into love. Because those with faith find that Jesus is faithful. He's the one in the midst of the brokenness that offers wholeness. So we can lean back in the timing of Jesus. We can lean into the tenderness of Jesus. And third, we can learn from the tactics of Jesus. Notice Jesus in all Jesus does not let the pressure of expectations around him pull him out of a moment God wanted to use him in. I think we're so quick sometimes to be like, that's where God is working. That's where my life should be. That's where I need to get to. And yet this is the moment that God interacts with you in. There are crowds pressing him on every side, but I wonder if they noticed this, that he was walking in close enough connection with his father that he knew what God's heart was for both of these women. He, he valued each one of them, how much value he had. He knew that healing was coming for both of them. So he's not rushed or rattled despite what all of the expectations around him were. They were not the only two people wanting healing. There's a reason there was a humongous crowd waiting for him. And yet, he's not rushed. He's in one moment. A few years ago, I heard a story about a pretty well-known TV show host who had 
asked this pastor for advice. Um, he asked the pastor about this once-in-a-lifetime TV show opportunity that was offered to him and his family. And the, the pastor's answer just stayed with me. It was so profound. He said, um, his advice to the, the guy who was offered the TV show, he said, there are no such things as once-in-a-lifetime opportunities for God's people. Something is only God's will, or it isn't. So focus on what God is calling you to do, and he will take care of the opportunity. In other words, don't let all the expectations from everybody else surrounding you and the pressures of what's out there steal you out of the current moment that God has appointed for you right here and right now. God's not shocked or surprised or unprepared for this moment that just entered your life. He's been running for a while now without you. He's pretty good at it. He is big enough to handle all the other things while you remain present in this moment. I think sometimes it's faith to reach out to Jesus to change your life right now. Other times, it's faith to wait for Jesus to come in and restore something later. To hold fast while it's still on its way. And sometimes it's faith to actually recognize that this is the moment right now that God has appointed you for. Either way, those with faith will find that Jesus is faithful. Those who lean on Him in the hardest moments and in the greatest moments and in everything in between, who put their faith in Him on a regular, consistent basis, those people are going to find that Jesus is completely deserving of your trust. He's got it under control, so you can lean back in His timing. He is good and completely trustworthy, so you can lean into His tenderness. And he has all the wisdom you could possibly need for this moment so you can learn from the tactics of Jesus. Lean on him in, in everything. Lean into him. Trust him with everything and you will find he is completely... Faith. The faith will find that Jesus is faithful. And I, I don't know what situation you're hearing this from today. I hope that you go back and read Luke chapter 8, verses 40 to 56. And not just to let Pastor Brandt speak to you. Like I want you to hear from Jesus. Because I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're receiving this from. I do know that there is a faithful God who has revealed himself in the person of Jesus who loves you more than you realize and is calling you out of hiding and into love. Lean into Him today. Rely on Him. Whatever He's speaking to you, bank your life on that. And when you do, you're going to find that He is faithful. Let's pray. Father, we confess we have withdrawn a lot of times and hidden ourselves because we feel so broken and damaged because other people have 
hurt us, how other people have caused us to lose trust. And it just hurts so much to trust somebody again. Lord, I pray that you would deliver your grace and your healing and your restoration to us as we lean into you again. Renew our faith, Jesus. I pray that you would give us faith to trust what you say. Help us to find that you're good and that you're great. That you are strong and you are safe. Help us to discover your faithfulness as we lean into you in faith. Amen.